0: The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting and it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvellous stuff, marvellous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Bassey. Dame Shirley Bassey. With Goldfinger. And that, of course, is from the film, the theme song from the film, the 007 movie, from 1965. Welcome to another edition of The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore. And this is take two, the second of two editions of this audio cast, this podcast, on this Thursday, April the 9th, 2020. Now I played that song from Dame Shirley Bassey in honor of honor, honor Blackman, who passed away. This week, at the beginning of the week, at the age of 94, she was a British actress, performer, actor, I'd say, you know, she is someone who was someone who was popular in the UK in the 1950s, but really came to the fore um, when this film, Goldfinger, Came out in 1965. And she filmed with Sean Connery. In the film in 1964. And then it was released. In 1965. She also was in the Avengers. The television. Show in the UK as well. With uh, Patrick McNamee. Um, excuse me. Patrick Mcnee. Excuse me. I should know since I watched that series. Way back when. I <laughs> get his name wrong. But. Anna Blackman really made it big off of Goldfinger. She had pl- she played Pussy Galore, and was the, I guess the quote unquote love interest of Sean Connery, his James Bond character, obviously in that film. One of the things about that film that is kind of striking, looking back even now, years and years later, fifty. Years plus later, almost sixty years later, incredibly enough, if I do my math correctly, is that Honor Blackman was covered from head to toe in gold paint. Whatever that was, it was was incredible, Um, and there was a lot of concern about it. For uh, obviously, but you can go online and simply just type in Honor Blackman, Pussy Galore, Goldfinger. And hit the images section, and you will see images of Anna Blackman lying on a, I guess, a red couch or a red bed, completely covered in gold. Now, if you've seen Goldfinger, you will obviously know this. And I think that's how, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen the film, but I think that's how she's introduced In this gold paint, covered in it. I mean, head to toe. Her hair, her face, her eyes. And she talked about that. And talked about, I think, the positives and the negatives of that, obviously. Head to toe in gold paint. Watch that film, Goldfinger. It's a great film, by the way. But I just wanted to play that tune in honor of Honor, Honor Blackman, who passed away this week in England, at the age of 94. I should point out, while I'm at it, there were a few other people in the public realm who passed away this week. I mean, there's so many people, not to mention all the unknown people who passed away this week alone, who passed away in the last 10 minutes, in the last five minutes. In the first five minutes that I've done this episode, the first five minutes plus, it's really chilling to say this, but probably at least a hundred people have died in this country, the United States of America, due to this virus. So all of them, I send their families my condolences What a year this has been, 2020. We are in the second quarter of the year, and my goodness me. What a horrible year so far for the planet. John Prine, the folk and country musician and songwriter, ranked as really one of the best songwriters ever in America, John Prine. Passed away this week at the age of 73. Due to complications from the very virus that I alluded to. John Prine was somebody who. Caught the imagination of millions of people in America. With his songwriting skill and ability. And his folk songs. And his musicianship as well. From the heart, pure And really deep in many ways in his songwriting and in his expression of song. Hello in There is one of his signature tunes. And he leaves behind some really great music. John Prine was one of the very best that America had. And quite frankly, I think America is poorer. Due to his loss. John Prine. Who was someone that touched a chord. And spoke about the struggles of the ordinary person in this country. He related to the everyday person, spoke from the heart, played from the heart, and wrote from the heart. John Prine passes away at the age of 73 due to complications from coronavirus. You know one of his songs I guess ironically was Please Don't Bury Me Please Don't Bury Me China Rogers who was an up and coming rapper and model Passed away yesterday at the age of just 25. She had a great career surely ahead of her and was destined for a lot more greatness. It was a very sad, sad uh, bit of news to hear that she had passed away. Just 25 years of age. Born in Philadelphia and based in Brooklyn, New York. China Rogers, spelled C-H-Y-N-N-A. Chyna Rogers. Passed away yesterday, unbelievably. I mean, at the age of 25. No designation in terms of her passing, in terms of... What she passed away from. Same thing with the legendary Mort Drucker. He passed away today. It was announced. The famous mad magazine. Artist and illustrator. Caught the pulse of this country with his. Skewering of the political establishment through his artistry, through his illustrations every mad magazine cover or inside or back of cover back of had these great drawings from mort drucker he really did catch the zeitgeist in his work and he would be the artist you'd look forward to looking on the front cover of mad magazine for because that that's where you'd see these great sketches And they were so timely and on point. He caught the conscience of this country through his work and his artistry. Mort Drucker passed away today at the age of 91. And Mad Magazine will not be the same. Again. So I want to just quickly say again to all of those four individuals and to those who have passed away from this deadly virus, may you all rest in peace. And I send. My deepest condolences to the families of all of those individuals, including the families of Honor Blackman, John Prine, China Rogers, and Mort Drucker. Welcome back. A couple of headlines or so for you to digest. The IMF head sees the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression. And this is something that I have been very concerned about and warning people about on social media through my Twitter handle at Popcorn R-E-E-L. This is something that is very real, and obviously there are people who are going through this right this moment. The Associated Press, with the story and the headline, IMF, head, that's the International Monetary Fund, head, sees worst economic downturn since great depression this story was written by martin krutzinger dated april the 9th 2020 dateline washington the coronavirus pandemic will push the global economy into the deepest recession since the great depression with the world's poorest countries suffering the most the head of the International Monetary Fund, said Thursday, We anticipate the worst economic fallout since the Great Depression. IMS Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva said Thursday, in remarks previewing next week's virtual meetings of the 189 nation IMF and its sister lending organization, the World Bank. She said that the IMF will release an updated world economic forecast on Tuesday that will show just how quickly the coronavirus outbreak has turned what had been expected to be a solid year of growth into a deep downturn. Just three months ago, the IMF was forecasting that 160 nations would enjoy positive income growth on a per capita basis. Now the expectation is that over 170 nations will have negative per capita income growth this year. Emerging markets and low-income nations across Africa, Latin America, and much of Asia are at high risk, she said. Quote, with weak health systems to begin with, many faced the dreadful challenge of fighting the virus in densely populated cities and poverty-stricken slums, where social distancing is hardly an option, George said. That is just a portion of the story from the Associated Press today, entitled IMF Head sees worst economic downturn since Great Depression. And Martin Kruitsinger's article there raises something that I have talked about, and that is the situation on the African continent, among other places, where people are living six or seven to a hut to a shack a small hut a shack is something that's really small it is very difficult to enforce social distancing when you have overpopulated areas living with five other people in your house in your shack particularly which is really corrugated metal for the most part, that is surrounding the group of people who are huddled together. How can people possibly engage in physical distancing? I think the term social distancing is really a misnomer because we are still communicating with each other. But it's really physical distancing. And I think if you say it that way, it's a bit more stark, I think, for most people. Because it emphasizes and highlights the apartness. Being apart from someone. On a physical level. So there's that. That is not good news coming out of the IMF, but you didn't have to wait for the IMF managing director, Kristalina Georgieva, to tell you that we are in a heck of an economic downturn here that really is sending us to the Great Republican Depression. I mean, all you had to do was look at those jobless claims numbers from earlier today that showed that last week 6.8 million people in this country, the United States of America, filed for unemployment claims. And as I said in the earlier edition of this podcast, Today, that's just the people who were able to get through on the telephone or on the website in their state. We have no idea how many millions of people in the same position, unemployed and looking for work, did not get through to the phone number in the state or the website because it crashed in their state. Other headlines for this Thursday second edition of this podcast, The Politocrat. Boris Johnson has been removed from the ICU, the intensive care unit, and taken back to his regular ward position at St. Thomas Hospital in London. So Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, apparently is recovering well in very good spirits, extremely good spirits, according to Downing Street spokesperson. And it looks like Boris Johnson is fighting back against this virus that really put him in a bad way over the last couple of weeks, especially... This past uh, Sunday. When he was rushed to hospital. And then on Monday. When he was really at his nadir. As he was headed. And, and taken to intensive care. So right now at least. It looks very good for Boris Johnson. Seems to be recovering. And he's still recovering. Still under close observation. So apparently Now. He is back in his ward. That is good news. On a personal note. It is not known. How much longer he will be staying. At St. Thomas Hospital. But I would imagine it would be. At least for another few days. And he will need to. After that. Once doctors deem it. Okay for him. To leave the hospital. He will not go straight back to. Downing Street and start working again. I am sure that that won't happen. Well, I mean, he won't. I am of the mind that he probably will be resting and recuperating at home. Um, not at Downing Street, probably at his flat. But then again, I, I'm not sure if his partner, Carrie Simmons, is at her flat or at 11 Downing Street. I just don't know because she has symptoms of coronavirus but has not been tested. And of course, as you know, she is pregnant and expecting uh, to give birth, uh, I think, in the next few weeks. So this is, you know, this is just, um, this is good news for Boris Johnson. At least this is the the fact that he's been moved back to his regular ward. Now, look, that does not solve the issues of what's going on in the National Health Service The NHS has been drained by the Boris Johnson government, quite frankly. And that doesn't mean that we forget about any of that. You know, there was clap clap for our carers, as it has been now, every Thursday for the last three Thursdays in the United Kingdom. And as I've always said, it's always well and good, it's all well and good to... Support your NHS and thank the care workers, doctors and nurses for doing the excellent work they do. But you've also at some point, I think, got to look at advocating for them to get testing. And this uh, uh, government that Boris Johnson is first among equals in as prime minister has done a dreadful job as have other conservative governments of keeping the NHS in a healthier position literally and figuratively here's another headline Boris Johnson, um obviously back on the men, but Bernie Sanders, who just about just over twenty four hours ago at the time that I have recorded this. Said sayonara to his presidential campaign. Is as I have written about. And as I alluded to. Yesterday in the episode. Of the politocrat. Still on the ballot. He's still in the ballot in at least 21 states. And he made it very clear in his his uh, speech yesterday that he would remain on the ballot despite not remaining in the presidential race for the nomination of the Democratic Party. And I wrote a story in the blog that I have called Politocrat and the web address is Politocrat Dot .politics.blog dot That's politocrat dot politics dot blog, And the title of the story is So Long Bernie But Not Farewell And I talk about the fact that Bernie Sanders made it clear to supporters that while he is dropping out of the race, there are still states that he is going to be on the ballot in. So even though Joe Biden has a pretty much now free and clear run to finish up cementing his uh, presumptive nominee status, Bernie Sanders will still be on the ballot in these other states that have not been heard of. It is a thank you gesture to his supporters. And it's part of a strategy to amass as many delegates as he can at the convention for the sake of leverage. And I alluded to a little bit of this in the story that I just mentioned that I wrote at the Politocrat blog, at politocrat.politics.blog. And the strategy now should be for any Bernie Sanders supporters who have not yet voted because their primary has not come up yet. A lot of these primaries are now going to be in either May or June. A lot of them have been pushed back as a result of this pandemic. So all of these people, and there's a few of them, not many of them, but there's a loud chorus of a small group who make themselves heard. On Twitter, for example, saying that they will never vote for Joe Biden, never, ever, ever. Well, if you are one of those individuals who's saying that now, but your state has not yet voted in these primaries, my strong advice to you would be to say this to you that would be the time to vote for Bernie Sanders in these primaries even though he is no longer in the race. That is how you thank Bernie. That is how you say thank you for everything to Bernie Sanders. It would not be a wasted vote, in my opinion, because A, it's the primary, and B, Joe Biden is going to be the nominee anyway. And C, even more concretely than that, Bernie will need all the delegates he can to have a say not only in the Democratic Party platform, but also in the way that Joe Biden, to a degree, will be presenting the issues of his presidential run. And I don't think it's a bad strategy to With that in mind, with the delegate count in mind, with the idea that you want to influence the Democratic Party and have a major say, I don't think it's a bad idea that you vote for Bernie, even though he is out of the race. It's not a wasted vote if you consider that the strategy is to push a progressive agenda and amass more delegate representatives for Bernie Sanders at the convention, whenever and wherever that will be held. It's going to be at least mid-August. And now we are in April. So there are at least four months between now and then. Which means that all of these people on Twitter who say, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to vote for Bernie in November. You're wasting your time. Vote for Bernie now in the primary. And whether or not you have voted in the primaries this time around, Make sure you vote for Joe Biden this November. Joe Biden, by the way, has actually tried to genuflect towards Bernie supporters already. Today, he, I think, announced that he was doing something called Medicare for 60 meaning that he was expanding Medicare coverage. Now, he is not a supporter of Medicare for All, but he's expanding coverage, so Medicare will start at the age of 60, as opposed to the current 65. It's five years. I guess that's not terrible. He's also pledged to eliminate all student debt for low- and middle-income students who went to, I think, community colleges or city colleges or historically black colleges and universities. So that is a step toward Bernie. It is not a step completely entirely to Bernie, who has said that he believes that there should be no student debt at all, a complete Elimination of student debt. Biden offered and has said today that he would eliminate student debt entirely from all low and low and middle income people who went to particular types of colleges and universities, whether it's HBCUs or whether it is, I guess, uh, city and community colleges, something of that in a, of that nature, which is, again, a step in the right direction. And Biden is going to have to continue to do things like this. He is not going to give up the farm. I think if Bernie Sanders supporters, and I am one of them, expect that Joe Biden is going to give up the farm completely, then they really are wasting their time. He's not going to do that. He's obviously not going to do that. But we need to continue to push him to incorporate that progressive platform which is why voting in these primaries is important and making your voice heard is important in these primaries so that Bernie Sanders can go to the convention wherever and wherever and whenever that might be with a lot of delegates so that he can at least steer a lot of the agenda at that party convention. Do not waste your vote in November voting for Bernie. I beseech thee. Do not do that. Bernie will not be on the ballot in November. He is on the ballot now, however. And when May and June comes, when those two months arrive, one after the other, you, in one of those 20 21 22 23 states who have not yet voted who have not yet had your primary or who are waiting for your primary to come have a golden opportunity to vote for bernie sanders then in may or june that is when you vote for him it is a strategy that i think makes a lot of sense Thank you. Thing with If I Ever Lose My Faith in You. Game show hosts. I think uh, <laughs> Sting accurately described in that song Donald Trump who is a game show host a psychopathic game show host but a game show host, nonetheless. Everything now is reality TV theater for Donald Trump. And that is a very, very dangerous thing. And that's really the heart of what this episode is about. about how Donald Trump is so very culpable, so very culpable for what has happened. Now, yes, he did not create the coronavirus. But I think his behavior and his actions, or should I say his non-action, Gives a real new meaning to a phrase that I have just made up, which is that Trump literally stood in the middle of Pennsylvania Avenue and killed, figuratively, at least 17,000 Americans with his non-action and that number is ever-increasing. There is a question that I think needs to be asked. There is a question that needs to be asked here and it's going to be something that you may have heard before. And if you were around back in 1973, I think you will be very familiar with this line of inquiry.
1: The central question at this point is simply put, what did the president know and when did he know
0: it? What did Donald Trump know? And when did he know it? Regarding this pandemic When you think about it, there's so many stories now about what Donald Trump knew and when he knew it. I mean, so many stories. And his culpability. is shaped by his own words.
1: The coronavirus, this is their new hoax. We have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China. One day it's like a miracle, it will disappear. When you have 15 people, and within a couple of days it's gonna be down to close to zero. We really think we've done a great job in keeping it down to a minimum. I like this stuff. I really get it. People are surprised if I understand it. No, I don't take responsibility at all.
0: No, he doesn't take responsibility at all. What did Donald Trump know? And when did he know it? Where this coronavirus is concerned. Now that ad that you just heard is from Priorities USA. They've got a number of great ads about Donald Trump and his willfulness in my view, his failure to do anything to help Americans while he was doing everything to help other countries. That ad that I just played to you was an ad that Donald Trump tried to get off the air. He actually went to court to get that ad off the air. Stop running that ad claiming that it was defamatory and slanderous and all this kind of nonsense. You can't have this on the air. This censorship. I mean, this is ridiculous. These are his own words. That is his voice. This wasn't cobbled together in the usual crude way that a lot of negative ads are put together. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even call the ad that you just heard a negative ad, it's the truth. What's negative is, is that this guy has done absolutely nothing to help the average, everyday American. And he hasn't done that at all in his life, let alone in the last three plus years, let alone during this pandemic. It has always been solely about Donald Trump and Donald Trump and Donald Trump. no responsibility at all i don't take responsibility at all that is what he says those are his words and now he's going to courts telling priorities usa you can't run that ad even though it's his voice his voice isn't manipulated he's not quoted out of context And if you do the sourcing, you will see these uh, sources all documented for that ad, where he said these things, when he said them, right down to the date, right down to the place. The ad, for those of you who want to watch that ad that I just played to you, is called Exponential Threat. So you can go on YouTube and type in exponential threat. E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T-I-A-L threat. You type that into the YouTube search engine or any search engine, and make sure you click on videos. You will get that ad from Priorities USA, which is a progressive organization dedicated to making sure that A Democrat gets back into the White House this November. And mark my words, Joe Biden will be that Democrat. America has had enough of this freak show. And America has had enough of this game show of death and destruction and lies and thievery and laziness. We've all had enough, the planet has had enough of Donald Trump. And as the conservative columnist George Will, the political observer, once said quote, I want Donald Trump out of public life. What did Donald Trump know? about the coronavirus and when did he know it? news and exclusive ABC News investigation out this morning reports that the National Center for Medical Intelligence warned the military and the White House late last year about the spread of coronavirus in China. Our senior White House correspondent Cecilia Vega joins us now with the details. Good morning, Cecilia.
2: Hey, Michael, good morning to you. So it was just yesterday that President Trump said no one had even heard of the virus two months ago, but we are now learning that as far back as late November, American military medical investigators overseas sounded the alarm to officials right here at home about a contagion that was sweeping through Wuhan. Those concerns that the virus could be devastating were detailed in a report, and multiple sources have described that report to our team. Now, it's not just that there were repeated briefings for policymakers across the federal government through December. And by early January, the warnings made it into the president's daily briefing. But it wasn't until late January that President Trump made his first public comments about this virus, saying that he wasn't at all worried about it and that he had it totally under control. Of course, this is now raising serious questions about whether the administration could have ramped up the response efforts before it actually did. Michael, so far, no comment from the Pentagon or officials at the White House. Well, We
0: know you're going to stay on them today, Cecilia. But we also heard the president in In the middle of this pandemic, he threatened to cut off funding to the World World Health Organization. Sorry about that.
2: Yeah, no, he did. Uh, You're right, Michael. And it's because he says he's angry with the group, saying that they've been too China-centric during this outbreak. And he said, point blank, we're going to put a very powerful hold on the money given to them. But then just a few minutes later, he seemed to backtrack, saying that he's now strongly considering it, Michael. But if this does happen, it would be huge. The U.S. is the largest single contributor to the WHO. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, Michael.
0: And not long ago, he was praising the WHO. Thank you so much, Cecilia. Yeah, that's Donald Trump. He is a bleeding weather vane. The full story about this, the intelligence report warned of coronavirus crisis as early as November sources, can be found at abcnews.go.com. That's abcnews.go.com. The authors are Josh Margolin and James Gordon Meek. April the 8th, 2020. So it is possible, with the White House knowing about this as early as late November 2019, it is very possible, very possible, that Donald Trump knew about it in November. And I get it, well, you know, the daily briefing, it didn't make its way in there until late December, early January. But the bottom line is, is that Nobody can tell me that Donald Trump was not aware of this in November. He certainly was in December because in the last day of December, the Wuhan Medical Agency in China sent out an alert publicly and also to government officials around the globe. There is no way that Donald Trump did not know about this in December of last year. And I find it, quite frankly, very hard to believe that the White House did not tell him about this when they found out about it in November I mean, it's only a pandemic Uh, nothing to see here I don't think that Donald Trump somehow didn't know about this in November surely he did certainly the White House did U.S. intelligence officials were warning that a contagion was sweeping through China's Wuhan region. This is in November, late November. This is when U.S. intelligence officials, you know, those are the same people that this guy in the White House chose not to believe over Vladimir Putin, an enemy to the U.S., a dictator in Russia. Never mind my own U.S. intelligence agencies. That I'm supposed to listen to. I'm gonna go believe this dictator over here who has multiple human rights abuses and violations. Never mind, never mind the US intelligence agencies that I'm supposed to listen to. This dictator over here, I believe him against my own country. People have already forgotten about Helsinki. June 2018. Before the world, Donald Trump. Commits treason, basically. This report in ABC News, I'm going to read another bit of it here. You can't tell me that he didn't know about this. The report was the result of analysis of wire and computer intercepts coupled with satellite images. It raised alarms because an out-of-control disease would pose a serious threat to U.S. forces in Asia, forces that depend on the NCMI's work. And it paints a picture of an American government that could have ramped up mitigation and containment efforts far earlier to prepare for a crisis poised to come home. Quote, an analyst, this is analyst from the, U.S. Intelligence Agency. And this is from a report from the NCMI, the National Center for Medical Intelligence. Quote, analysts concluded it could be a cataclysmic event, one of the sources said of the NCMI's report. Quote, it was then briefed multiple times to the Defense Intelligence Agency, the Pentagon Joint Staff, and the White House. Wednesday night, the Pentagon issued a statement denying the product assessment existed. Well, let me tell you something. The Pentagon can deny all it wants. It is very clear that these assessments were being made. And I think that Donald Trump deliberately, willfully paid no attention to these reports. And he has shown his recklessness He has shown his willfulness. He has shown his vengeance. Why would you believe somehow that he had not had advanced knowledge of this? I don't think you can assume anything else as far as this goes. I don't know how you possibly can, quite frankly. I mean, do you really, honestly, honestly believe dying? I mean, do you believe this? I want you to listen to this. And let me just do this again here because I just got a little technical wires crossed. That I really, really don't see how people with half a loaf of bread to their name or none can possibly buy this from Donald Trump given what we know this was something that was said back on March the 21st of this year at one of his campaign rallies listen to this
1: Tremendous relationship with President Xi I wish they could have told us earlier About what was going on inside We didn't know about it until it started Coming out publicly But I wish they could have told us earlier about Because we could have come up with a solution Uh, Tony Fauci And all of the people, the talent that we have Would have Loved to have had three or four months of uh, Additional time if you knew that this was going to be happening They didn't have that time They read about it in newspapers like everybody else China was very secretive okay very very secretive and that's unfortunate with that I have great respect for that country I have great respect for the leader of that country and like he's a friend of mine but I wish they were able to I wish they would have told us earlier Steve that they were having a problem because they were having a big problem and they knew it and I wish they could have given us an advance because we could have done, we could have had a lot of things, as an example. Some...
0: No, you couldn't have. You couldn't have. Why didn't you, if you claim that you did not hear from China early enough, and they told you somehow late? I mean, this is an example of Donald Trump, again, scapegoating other people for what he should have been aware of, and was aware of, and didn't act on. If you were saying that you didn't get told until late from China until it was publicly available, which is a lie, then why didn't you raise holy hell at China, both publicly and privately? This came to the public attention in December of 2019, That there was a virus spreading through China from the Wuhan prophets. That was information that I heard personally on Sky News UK. Sky News is a United Kingdom news service organization, news channel. Rupert Murdoch used to have Ownership in Sky used to have a controlling interest in it, he no longer does. And Sky News is available globally, it's available live on YouTube, it's available in your home if you have a smart TV and a cable system that carries internet feed through apps, through news. It's available the world i found this out in december i found this out quite frankly in on new year's eve i remember was the first time i heard about it or maybe slightly before that and that was the time when wuhan their medical offices and administrative offices put out a global alert about this virus i mean i don't know how donald trump must think we are but we are not stupid. They posted a notice. They are investigating a pneumonia outbreak that is spreading in their city. This is December 31st. And if that was the first publicly known time. Then that contradicts Donald Trump suggesting that it was sometime in February or March. Or, in, or sometime in late January, early February. It's simply not true. And heads of state do not learn about these things at the same time that the general public does. Heads of state are briefed on these things in advance of the general public knowing. In these matters, that is always the case. So I am absolutely calling bullcrap On Donald Trump's assertion that he didn't know early enough and that he wishes China had notified him earlier the truth is China did the truth is that I will share more of the truth with you in just a moment What did Donald Trump know about the coronavirus and when did he know it? Quite frankly, he was aware of this as early as January of 2017. From the magazine Foreign Affairs, available at foreignaffairs.com, comes this story. Pandemic disease is a threat to national security. Washington should treat it like one. Lisa Monaco is the writer, dated March the 3rd, 2020. This is a thoroughly sourced Story, Lisa Monaco, those of you who do not know, was the Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor to President Obama. I'm going to read just a few lines from this story that she wrote. Again, the headline, Pandemic Disease is a Threat. To national security the subtitle Washington should treat it like one on January the 13th 2017 national security officials assembled in the White House to chart a response to a global pandemic a new virus was spreading with alarming speed causing global transportation stoppages supply chain disruptions and plunging stock prices with a vaccine many months away, U.S. healthcare infrastructure was severely strained. No, I didn't get that date wrong. This happened. It was part of a transition exercise that outgoing officials from the administration of President Barack Obama convened for the benefit of the incoming team of President Donald Trump. As the Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor to President Obama, I led the exercise in which my colleagues and I sat side by side with the incoming national security team to discuss the most pressing Homeland Security concerns they would face. Obama and Vice President Joseph Biden made ensuring a professional transition a top priority, so we followed the excellent example of our predecessors, who held a similar exercise in 2009. And she's referring to George W. Bush and company. After 9-11, congressional legislation mandated such efforts in order to safeguard the country's security through presidential transitions. During the exercise, we put together plausible scenarios and offered lessons learned. Although the exercise was required, the specific scenarios we chose were not we included a pandemic scenario because I believed them, excuse me, because I believed then and I have warned since that emerging infectious disease was likely to pose one of the gravest risks for the new administration. That was Lisa Monaco. Lisa Monaco, the Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor to President Obama. Obama. That was written March the 3rd, 2020. So this whole pandemic exercise was drawn out, was diagrammed out, was mapped out actively for Donald Trump and his team. When they came into the White House, before they came into the White House in 2017, literally a week before, they would be sworn in before Trump would stick his grubby orange hand, tiny orange hand, up in the air with the other one on a Bible, the other one, the lying hand. Well, both of his hands are lies. And would say that he would uphold an oath to the Constitution to protect and defend this country, which he obviously lied about. A week before he did that and talked about carnage that he wanted to end, which of course he has continued with his non-action. 17,000 people dead and counting in the US. And I'm sure that by the time of all the end of this, as I record it, the number will be higher. A week before all of that, he and his team were told in no uncertain terms by the outgoing Obama administration administration Spearheaded by Lisa Monaco, that this pandemic situation would be the most serious thing that you would have to be looking at, and this thing is likely to happen. There have been years of this warning of these warnings. George W. Bush, back in 2006, had a speech where he warned about it. President Obama himself had a speech in which he warned about it i don't have the uh, audio for those at to hand but at some point i'm going to find some time to play them bill gates for goodness sakes back in 2015 held, held a ted talk that lasted just over 8 minutes you can still find it on youtube where he warned about a pandemic In fact, there have been warnings about pandemics for at least three decades in this country. There have been warnings about a severe pandemic that would lay waste to many people across the planet, including here in the United States. This is not exactly a tightly held classified document secret here. This has been well known. Peter Navarro, in January of this year, Peter Navarro, the trade advisor to Trump, warned him in two separate memos, one on January the 29th, another on February 23rd, about this pandemic that was coming, that was going to pose a severe risk. You can read the documents that present this information At Axios, A-X-I-O-S, the headline from September, excuse me, from April the 7th of this year, Navarro memos, warning of mass coronavirus death, circulated in January. This was a story written by Jonathan Swan and Margaret Talev. From a 23rd of February memo to Donald Trump, Memorandum to President There is an increasing probability of a full-blown COVID-19 pandemic that could infect as many as 100 million Americans with a loss of life of as many as 1 to 2 million souls. That was a memo from the February 23rd Of this year, a memo to Donald Trump from Peter Navarro. That was the memo that he sent in February, because the one he sent in January was not heeded, obviously. I don't think that Trump was too worried about any of this. Here is page seven of the January 29th memo that Navarro sent to Donald Trump. Other factors to consider. The risk of a worst case pandemic scenario should not be overlooked in light of the information provided by the Chinese government that is specific to the coronavirus. I'm going to stop right there. That's the first sentence under this paragraph of this portion of the memo that you can find at axios.com. In light of the information provided by the Chinese government that is specific to the coronavirus. Now that was written on January the 29th of this year. So this idea that Donald Trump did not know about this is garbage. He said that the Chinese didn't inform him early enough. I just played that clip for you, the audio clip, a few minutes back. He obviously was told by the Chinese government before January the 29th of this year. And quite frankly, as I've already told you, U.S. intelligence agencies had briefed the White House in late November about this. There is no way that Donald Trump could not have known. He lied the other day when he said, oh, no, I haven't seen it and I didn't go looking for it. Why would you not go looking for a memo that said that one to two million Americans could die? From this COVID-19 pandemic. You knew that it was going on. You knew that it was going on from November. You knew that it was going on from December. When the Wuhan agency posted. A health notice. At the very earliest. The very latest. You knew about this on January 3rd of this year. The very latest. And you knew about it before that. Because you claim that you didn't know about it until it went public. Well, it went public in December that Wuhan, the Wuhan province was having this epidemic ripping through their province in China. The Chinese government told Donald Trump this in December. There's no way That Donald Trump was not briefed about this at the very latest, quite frankly, in December of last year. And we're going to continue to hear these stories about him being briefed earlier and earlier. There's surely going to be something that comes out that says he knew about this definitively in either October or November of 2019. There is no escape here, Donald. There is no escape here. For you have been found out. And this is very, very clear. He knew about this in at least December. And I'm saying November, most likely. How could you not be briefed on this? I know they say the presidential daily brief, but come on. If the White House got briefed on this in November of 2019, are you telling me that not one of the people in the White House said anything to Donald Trump about it? Now, there may have been an official briefing in the PDB, the Presidential Daily Brief. You remember that document, the one that George W. Bush kind of brushed off back on uh, August of uh, 2001? There's no way that Donald Trump didn't know about this in November of 2019. There's no way. He was a, he was briefed by the Chinese government in December of 2019. Health officials in Wuhan, China posted a notice publicly that says they're investigating a pneumonia outbreak that's spreading in their city. The World Health Organization acknowledged that it was informed of a cluster of cases of pneumonia, of unknown cause. Do you think that the WHO, which is largely funded by the US, is going to know about this in December and is going to get briefed on it in December of 2019 and somehow Donald Trump wouldn't? It strains credulity. January 8th. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That's your friendly neighborhood CDC that, of course, Donald Trump has wrecked. That's the one where it is headed by Dr. Robert Redfield, who, quite frankly, has not distinguished himself well. As I have said numerous times, people who aren't fit for purpose are running agencies and purposefully running them into the ground at Donald Trump's behest. The CDC publishes a health advisory regarding the pneumonia of unknown etiology that appears to have originated in Wuhan. That's January 8th. Then on January 17th, the CDC dispatches more than 100 staffers to three US airports to screen passengers arriving from Wuhan, a highly unusual step only taken during major health crises. That's January the 17th of this year. Are you telling me that the CDC did this and Donald Trump had no idea of it? January 21st, 2020. Dr. Nancy Messonnier, who by the way I think is the sister of Rob, excuse me, Rod Rosenstein. Rod Rosenstein was in the Justice Department. He may still be there. As the assistant attorney general. I'll never forget Rod Rosenstein. You know he was the guy that stood ramrod straight. Staring straight ahead. Last year. As Bill Barr. The most corrupt attorney general that America has ever had. Was standing there lying about the Mueller report. And its findings. When he made the conclusions for America. Before America even got to read the darn thing. The darn report. And you saw Rod Rosenstein standing there like a deer in headlights, straight ahead. I don't think he blinked once. Standing behind Bill Barr, being, you know, on his left, on his left flank. It was one of the most surreal and bizarre moments. It was as if Rod Rosenstein was in the twilight zone. Or his expression was saying, I do not agree with the lies coming out of his mouth because they are lies. The lies coming out of Bill Barr, who is behaving like a petty dictator himself, by the way. So Rod Rosenstein's sister, and by the way, she has since lost her job. She was fired, I think, from the CDC. She was. She lost her job. Someone can fact check that, but she lost her job. Dr. Nancy Messonnier, the sister of Rod Rosenstein, the either former or present assistant attorney general. She lost her job. On January 21st, however, she warned, said the following. She is a CDC official, a senior official in the CDC, handling the response to respiratory diseases. Tells reporters, quote, we do expect additional cases in the United States and globally. That is a pandemic, folks. January the 21st. And what did Donald Trump do? He was at the World Economic Forum in Davos in Switzerland. And he says he's not worried that it could turn into a global pandemic. Oh, and I'm confident that China's being transparent. So on January 22nd, he's confident that China is being transparent. But in March of this year, March the 21st of this year, in that clip I just played you, he's somehow now saying that he wished that China had told him earlier? I don't think so. This is about Trump trying to cover his butt, his orange butt, and scapegoat the World Health Organization, which he's now threatening to withhold monies from. This is just this vengeful, petty, childish nonsense. And scapegoating China. When he knows darn well that China told him in December, at the very least, and he was briefed, by U.S. intelligence officials in November of 2019. This guy has a lot of blood on his hands.
1: In the morning sleeping for
0: Desmond Decker and the Aces with Israelites. Well, I got to tell you something. This guy in the White House knew. He absolutely knew about this pandemic. And he did nothing about it. I want to go back, by the way, to this memo from Peter Navarro, the trade advisor to Donald Trump. By the way, Peter Navarro has since been a figure relegated from the administration. You don't hear a whole lot from him. He'll be on certain places here and there. but He does not have the kind of visibility that he once had. Here's something from that memo of January 29th, page 7, under the headline, the subtitle, Other Factors to Consider. In sharp contrast, the coronavirus reflects an extreme antigenic shift, a situation where Americans have yet to develop immunities to this disease. The lack of immune protection or an existing cure or vaccine would leave Americans defenseless in the case of a full-blown corona outbreak on U.S. soil. This lack of protection elevates the risk of the coronavirus evolving into a full-blown pandemic, imperiling the lives of millions of Americans. That is just a portion of The memo from Peter Navarro, Trump's trade advisor, who warned Trump twice, once in the 29th of January, the other time on February the 23rd, which brings me to February the 23rd and that memo, memorandum to president. And I read a portion of this earlier. Here is the recommendation, in part, that Peter Navarro made in that February 23rd, 2020 memo. To minimize economic and social disruption and loss of life, there is an urgent need for an immediate supplemental appropriation of at least $3 billion to support efforts uh, prevention treatment inoculation and diagnostics this is not and he underlines the word well he doesn't underline it he says not and he writes that in capital letters not this is not a time for penny pinching or horse trading on the hill that's capital hill uncertainties associated with developing a vaccine and viable treatment options should not again he writes that in capital records the Capital records. (laughs) No, 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 not capital records in Los Angeles, but capital records. (laughs) Capital letters. (laughs) Oh, dearie me, it's been a long day. Capital letters, not, the word not, N-O-T, should not slow down investments in these high-risk, high-reward ventures. In this administration, we take appropriate risks to protect the public, We move in Trump time to solve problems. We always skate to where the puck might be. In this case, a full-blown pandemic. Again, this is this is I think this is extraordinary from Peter Navarro from this February twenty third, two thousand and twenty memo. We can, and he puts the word can in capital letters. We can develop a vaccine and treatment therapeutics in half the usual time. And he puts the word must in capital letters. We must get appropriate protective gear and point of care diagnostics. Any member of the task force who wants to be cautious about appropriating funds for a crisis that could, in effect, could inflict trillions of dollars in economic damage. I'm going to repeat that. Any member of the task force, this is Peter Navarro in February of 2020 in a memo directly to Donald Trump. Any member of the task force who wants to be cautious about appropriating funds for a crisis that could inflict trillions of dollars in economic damage. That's trillions with a T. Trillions of dollars in economic damage and take millions of lives has come to the wrong administration. Here's what we need when our representatives from HHS, Health and Human Services, and OMB, Office of Management and Budget, go to the Hill this week to ask for funds. And it's a conservative estimate. And he underlines the word conservative here. And he has a table on this page. This is page one, I think, of this February 23rd memo of this year. This isn't even two months ago, folks. This is not even two months ago. It's six weeks ago. Six stinking weeks ago. This is the table from this memo, right underneath what I've just read. Supplemental appropriation needed. This is what is recommended. This is what we need. This is what I think actually outlined by Navarro. And it's conservative. This is Peter Navarro. This is the conservative estimate of what is needed to fight this pandemic. This is what he said to Trump in February of this year. February 23rd. Personal protective equipment. The PPEs that nurses and doctors are begging for. And now are using garbage bags. As substitutes for. PPEs. $618 billion worth. Face masks, gloves, goggles, Tyvek suits, ventilator circuits. Positive air pressure respirators. Treatment therapeutics. $528 billion worth. That's intravenous oral monoclonal antibodies. Those are the drugs. Treatment therapeutics. Remdesivir. Rems Desivir. That's a drug I think that's been talked about, floated about. Vaccine development. I mean, this is just incredible. Let me revise that $618 million worth of PPEs. $528 million of treatment therapeutics. $1.6 billion of vaccine development. And in the notes here, he says it's a four to five company horse race in quotes. And the words horse race are in quotes. Diagnostics, $280 million dollars point of care, and large lab. That's a total of $3 billion. That's a conservative estimate. Donald Trump knew all about this, and what he did was, at the very time that that was going on, in that memo, I mean, this is just ridiculous. He gave a State of the Union speech on February the 4th, and he said that China was doing well to battle this virus, and we will help them out this is the same three days later they shipped. America shipped all these PPEs out to China. Probably a lot of the stuff that Navarro was recommending. All shipped out 18, almost 18 tons of it. PPEs, respirators, ventilators, gowns, masks. All of the things that Peter Navarro in that memo was telling Trump. You have got to invest money in this. And that's a conservative estimate. That memo was February the 23rd, two weeks before that memo, just about just two weeks, a little more than two weeks before that memo on February 23rd, that Peter Navarro, it's the second memo he sent to Trump, two weeks before that, two weeks and a couple of days before that, on February the 7th, Trump had spoken with President Xi of China I mean, this is just ridiculous. And on that very same day, the materials were shipped to China. The 18 tons of PPEs and all the stuff that these doctors and nurses need here in the US now. He brags about this on February 10th about, oh, the coronavirus will be gone by April. Well, here we are in April, Trump. And this thing ain't going away. The death toll continues to rise. And a few days after that, February 13th, the pretty much rendered useless CDC director, Dr. Robert Redfield, contradicts these wild predictions by Trump in a CNN interview saying that the coronavirus is, quote, probably with us beyond this season, beyond this year. On February 19th, the World Health Organization, by the way, the health, World health, can I just mention that the World Health Organization that Donald Trump is threatening to withhold money from presented an offer to Donald Trump, here, take these hundreds of thousands and millions of masks and these tests, take these test kits. We've got them. They're 100% reliable. We've got these millions of test kits. We can give them to you for a for cost. These are 100% reliable. And what did Trump say to the World Health Organization? Thanks. But no thanks. We don't want your stinking test kits. We don't want your test kits. We don't want your 100% effective test kits. We've got some money to make. We're going to have American companies do it. They got, we get, we're going to get all Fleetwood Mac on you. And we are going to go our own way here we're going to get American companies these corporations to make these kits and we're going to sell them we're going to make money they're not going to make money off of us how dare you offer us kits that can save the lives of millions of Americans in the country I'm supposed to have sworn and protected the very country that I swore to protect and defend We don't want your stinking kits. And what happened is the CDC made these test kits and they were not effective. Not by a long shot. They failed. They were false positives, false negatives. And there were lots of false positives and negatives. I know there are tests that yield that. But these were failures. These were not reliable at all. And then meanwhile, the cases mount, February 19th, the World Health Organization says 75,000 confirmed cases worldwide. That was February 19th. And after that memo from Peter Navarro on February 23rd, I guess that Trump stood to attention, it only took two memos for that to happen. Because on the 24th of February, the very next day after that memo, the White House requested $2.5 billion to deal with the coronavirus emergency. Peter Navarro said that $3 billion was a conservative estimate. So right there and then, Donald Trump and the OMB, Mick Mulvaney, who is no longer in that position, he was fired. And he's no longer the White House chief of staff either. Mark Meadows is. the Republican congressman. He's had about four chiefs of staff. I mean, this is just ridiculous. And it's very deliberate, of course. Very deliberate. I mean, look. On the 24th, the White House requested $2.5 billion. Peter Navarro's memo from the previous day, February 23rd of this year, Said that three billion was a conservative estimate. So minimum, the White House and Trump should have doubled that request to six billion dollars, five billion at least. This was deliberate. And the same day Trump tweets the coronavirus is very much under control in the USA. That's a lie. Everything this guy says is a lie. A day later, Nancy Messonnier, the doctor, the CDC official, I told you, who was who is the sister to Rod Rosenstein, said it is inevitable that the coronavirus was spread in the U.S. and that Americans need to prepare for disruptions to their daily lives. This was February 25th. And at the same day, on the same day, while he is in India. Trump tells reporters, oh, the virus is a problem that's going to go away. Contradicting qualified government scientists and officials at the CDC. I mean, there is a whole timeline about this. The next day, February 26th, at a White House press conference, Trump defends his administration's response to the coronavirus, but also contradicts the assessment from the CDC. From Nancy Messonnier and... Uh, Robert Redfield, the doctor who is in charge there, that the virus will definitely spread throughout the US. Trump says, I don't think it's inevitable. I think that there's a chance it could get worse, a chance it could get fairly substantially worse, but nothing's inevitable. It's February 26th. The next day, the World Health Organization says they have more than 82,000 confirmed cases worldwide. I think that Trump is looking like an ass and deliberately chooses to because his goal is to Bring this country to its knees. Then on the 29th of February, the last day of the month, health officials in Washington state announced the first coronavirus death inside the United States. I remember this. I was watching CNN, and I don't watch it that often. And I remember that. It was almost an aside. And there was some reporting on it, the first coronavirus death in Washington state. And initially that became the epicenter because there were lots of cases I believe it was King County or in Kirkland, Washington, wherever in Washington. I don't know if that's in King County or not, but Kirkland, Washington was an epicenter for this. And since then, I think Washington State, through their governor, Jay Inslee, has done a, a stellar job. But the patient who died was a man in his 50s who had underlying health problems. And then there were these travel warnings. Travel warnings. These weren't travel bans. These were travel warnings to South Korea, Iran, and Italy. Well, guess what? All three of them saw significant outbreaks. And we know what happened in Italy. We know what's still happening in Italy. And while the curve is kind of um, flattening out there, there are more deaths in Italy than anywhere else. And by the way, the U.S. is, is on track now to have already surpassed that, if they haven't already surpassed that. And we are just getting, I hate to say this, warmed up here. There are Baltimore, there are Washington, D.C., there are Philadelphia. Billed now by the administration and the CDC as three hotspots for coronavirus. And those have populations of African-Americans, a significant number of African-Americans live in each of those three cities. African-Americans are getting this virus. Much more often than anybody else. Disproportionate to anybody else. And you know why. Structural institutionalized racism. Is killing. Black people in this country. And this coronavirus. Will amplify that. It already has. These numbers are going to go through the roof. And meanwhile. Donald Trump is literally fiddling while Rome burns. In March he tweeted out a tweet that was done by Dan Scavino, a meme of Trump literally fiddling like Nero while Rome burns. And the meme is no one will be able to stop what is coming next. And then Trump tweeted above it and said, I don't know what this means, but it sure sounds good. I like the sound of it. Or words to that effect. This guy deliberately did this. This guy deliberately did this. He deliberately put Americans in harm's way. And for that, he should be impeached at minimum. And at maximum, he should be behind bars. This is a criminal offense. This ain't some neglect. This ain't some negligence. He was told in November of 2019 There is no question in my mind that this guy is guilty as sin and has blood on his hands and all for his own personal political gain and for his financial gain. This is his crude, disturbing, psychopathic way of trying to win re-election and avoid a jail term. And one of the reasons why I think he was so cavalier about New York and not giving New York the 40,000 or 30,000 ventilators that Governor Cuomo was pleading for was because Letitia James, the state attorney general in New York state, has been investigating him in the Southern District of New York for the better part of two years now and knows that the handcuffs are ready for Donald Trump, the second he leaves office next January because he will be leaving office then. He's going to be voted out this year in November. And all of this now from the daily press conferences, which are really campaign rallies, to the lies he tells every day, to deliberately not helping any of these states, particularly those in democratically controlled states, is all part of the calculation to Weaken this country to voter suppress as they did in Wisconsin. The Republicans did this week in a shameful way. In a very crude and evil way. This is all part of his re-election strategy. It is a very dangerous one. Very dangerous indeed. Thanks for listening to this extra edition of... The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.